It's Sunday, June 30th, and you are listening to In the Wheelhouse. ITW is a spontaneous discussion between two old friends on the Chicago Cubs and other baseball-related topics. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on ITW, Tom and I will discuss the 2019 All-Star lineups, the New York Mets are having issues on the field and in the front office, the Red Sox and Yankees go to London in an effort to grow the sport abroad, and there's new evidence that the baseballs are indeed juiced. Adam Eaton, and again, embarrasses himself while commenting to a reporter. We'll have all that in this week with the Chicago Cubs. Tom, uh, you're getting ready to go on vacation, are you not? Yes, I am. Uh, we're, uh, we're heading up to Michigan. Um, and, uh, you know, you'll, you'll, no, you'll notice when you look behind the, our, our, our overstuffed Jeep, it kind of looks a little bit like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. That's awesome, uh, man. That yeah. Awesome. And so we're looking forward to going to our little uh, hamlet in Michigan, Harrison, Michigan. Um, it, it, it's a really nice place. Our lake is very small, as I've told you before. We cover it in the winter. Uh, that's how small it is. Um, but uh, the reality is it's, it's a great little town. If, if you ever saw the movie The Last Picture Show, it's just kind of like that town, Anarine. Wow. Uh, okay. There's, well, there's a not a lot like there. That. Yeah. Well, is, there, is there at least a restaurant or something? Oh, you there's can plenty go- of restaurants. Yeah, I, I'm being facetious. It's, there, there's, a, there's a couple nice little bars in town. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, so, it's a, a winter and summer kind of place. Hunting the thing, in the winter. The thing I like the best about Michigan, and, and I've been there a couple times with the kids, is... Uh, Picking things like raspberries and, and cherries and blueberries, doing things like that is just, I think yeah. it's a blast. So, yeah, well, in Detroit, they're like picking like the bums off the streets. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so you're watching the Women's World Cup? Oh, yeah. Wouldn't miss it for the world. It's been, uh, it's been great. Uh, they're, they're so good. I mean, it's, it, it's, again, you know, watching a U.S. team dominate in soccer is really refreshing. And that's why I enjoy it so much. Yeah, well, you know, I thought it was kind of interesting that no team has ever repeated in the world in in the World Cup on the women's side. It's always been a different champion. So, if the U.S. are, it, it was my thought based on what I read before the World Cup started was that France was the best team. So, yeah, yeah. You know, hopefully there's no letdown against England on Tuesday, but the, the, the women are in a really good position thanks to some of their veterans, like Rapino, obviously, who is scoring all of the goals. But she's, it seems like when there's more on the line, the better that she becomes. Uh, and, and a couple of that one goal where no, it literally went through the wickets, it yeah. looked like a croquet shot. It was unbelievable. Rapino's shot, how she shoots it right into the beehive. And it doesn't I thought it was re- I yeah. thought it was redirected, but yeah. it was not redirected. It was not. No one touched it. That was amazing. And then you know the other goal where she's just you know they make the slanted pass across the middle, and you think that it misses the one forward, but then Rapino just comes in. Boom! Right. They're right. they're no. They're and, and again, the, the the drama is the French uh, goalkeep is the best in the world by rating. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that was something unto itself. You, you weren't going to get any really chicken shit goals against her. As no. if you noticed, there was a couple of ones where they were trying to put it right inside of the post and she closed that door immediately. No, she, she played great. I thought France played great, especially in the second half. They played with the kind of urgency that only the host nation can show. And for the U S to kind of hold them off was a, was a tremendous, uh, tr- it was a tremendous victory. It really was. I, I, you know, I thought that France um, controlled the tempo of the game and, and, and in the first half it was a little bit mixed, but I still thought they controlled it in the first. I thought they really controlled it in the latter half of the second half. Well, um, 
until the U.S. They, picked up at the end and kind of dominated in that last minute of extended play. And they just basically held the pillow over their face. You know basically, I mean? correct. You know? So, all right, so let's move on to baseball, and let's talk about the uh, all-star lineups. They've been selected. Yeah. I wanted to ask you who you thought had the stronger lineup, the American League or the National League? Well, if it's just like the voting and the American League gets a DH, but we don't, then I guess I like the American League. It's, just, <laughs> it's, a, it's the goofiest thing. They vote for a DH, but we don't. And, but we're going to use a DH, though. You right. know what I mean? DH like, is going to be named. So Stupid, yeah. stupid, stupid. So, you know, when you look at uh, an outfield that has uh, Mike Trout, George Springer, and, My- and Michael Brantley, he's on fire this year. Um, that's, it's, that's pretty formidable over there in the American league. The national leagues are no slouch themselves. Um, Ronald Acuna jr. Is really starting to exert himself as the five to a player. We knew he was going to be. Absolutely. Uh, no, you're uh, right. For, for the, for the national league. I, I, you know, I, the interesting thing was, is that Javi Baez was the first player in the history of the game. Yeah. Uh, to be voted in, in consecutive all-star games at different middle infield positions. It's never happened before. That has never happened. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and, you know, and what's really amazing about that is, is that he, this guy is, you're watching a special player. I've been saying this for a couple of years now, but I'm telling you, when he's due up, he, he's going to be making $50 million a year. I'm telling you. He, 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 will, be, he yeah. will become the highest paid player in the game. He, he's so compelling he really yeah. is i mean you cannot take your eyes off of him because he's just so instinctual but then he's so creative i mean he has his bad days just like anyone but uh but it's just great to watch him and you're right the cubs have to keep him there's no way and then the other uh, kind of funny thing is that that epstein and hoyer didn't even draft him he came from I the know. other administration from uh you know so uh, other noteworthy that's kind of interesting is just how consistently great Nolan Arenado has has been, and you know basically he's he's six straight Gold Gloves and and four straight Silver Sluggers. He's the best hitter and the best fielder at his position. Yeah, and you know really is. it's something that doesn't really get uh, talked about very often. You know Yelich Yelich is on pace to hit sixty one home runs, and so he leaves the National League. Uh, uh, outfield. Um, and then uh, and, uh, interesting, I thought that Hunter, Hunter Pence got voted in over JD Martinez at DH. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's right at all, but the, based on the way this voting system is, you're going to see stuff like that. Yeah. What did you think of that? Uh, how they, we had a primary, basically a primary election and then the top three candidates at each position were identified in terms right. of who got the most votes. And then there was a second round of voting what did you think of that? You know, it, it, I, when it, the, the, it's just like so many things else, else things in life. Uh, the idea sometimes is better than the reality. When I first heard the concept of this stage voting, I kind of liked it. Uh, and then the reality of it sat, sat in it. And, and I thought that the second stage of the voting was far too short. You basically had 48 hours to vote once it was, uh, once it right. was set up. Right. And I, I don't know. I just think it seems to me they could have kept the voting open for a week um, on the second stage. And, and so you see some ana- uh, anomalies out there. So, for example, in the National League at first base, um, that Freddie Freeman, who's a gr- an able player, nothing wrong with him. But Josh Bell's having a better Yeah, year. Josh Bell is definitely. And, and Josh should Bell be. should have been voted in as the starter at first base. 
Right. What what this what there were good things about the system, but what it did not solve was the fact that uh, teams with the big fan bases, uh, you know, right. they, they they their their players correct got in. And you're right, Josh Bell should start uh, instead of Freeman, although Freeman is having a good year. But uh, I think the National League lineup is a little bit stronger just because it's shortstop, and I think at third base they have more accomplished offensive players. You know, but uh, but it, that's a minor thing, honestly. Once the All Star break, once the All Star break arrives, I'm taking a vacation from baseball. I really yeah. am because it just it, it for me it just doesn't matter. Right, you know, I, right. I, 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 you, you just yeah. pray that your players don't get injured. Right, and right. that your league wins. Basically, in that order, you want your league to win. You always want the National League to win. Um, even though that hasn't been happening lately. I, I really used to feel that way. I used to really care about that. But, inter, you know, you know what it is, Tom, is interleague play has killed the All-Star break. Right. Or the right. All-Star game. It, that's it's, true. That's true. Because and, these teams, these players play one another now pretty regularly. And that, it used to be that that wasn't the case. That's that is what, a very good point because uh, it's it just taken the, the luster off of the All-Star game. The All-Star game is just not – that spe- it, what, in the 70s and the 80s, it was the best all-star game on the planet. Absolutely. If you, if, you know, intellectually, I don't like the concept. I'm kind of like George C. Scott in that regard. You know, George C. Scott didn't believe that actors should get awards. He's like, you know, we're not cattle. Yeah, uh, right, and, right, and, right. And I kind of feel the same way about the all-star game. It's always been a disruption to the season, which I don't like. <laughs> it is a disruption. And, I mean, I don't, I don't deny that the players need a break. I'm, I'm fine with that. But, Me too. You know, Give them a banquet. I don't know. I, I think it's just silly. You know what I mean? Let them have no, I liked roast. your original concept was, which is the regular players play and the and the college and uh, minor league pitchers pitch. Yeah, yeah. To, to take the strain off of the pitchers. Correct. And, Correct know. Amundo. All right. So uh, let's move on to other events. You know, the Mets finished up a series at Wrigley Field, and um, they split four games. But the last game was really disastrous for the Mets, who had a lead. And yep. then the Cubs came back to win it when right. they, uh, what did they, they, they beat up on Seth Lugo. By, had... Baez hit, a, hit a, an inspirational home run in the yes. eighth inning to win that game. Opposite field. Yeah, that was a tremendous moment. You know, Lugo, uh, uh, Lugo gave up the home run, Seth Lugo. And then Mickey Calloway was asked during a press conference uh, if he should have brought in this guy Rivera. And, 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 and the thing is, you know, Callaway got very angry that yep. he was asked this question. And he sort of barked at the reporter. He's like, well, he's the best reliever. Lugo's the best reliever we had and this and that. And then later on, a reporter sees Callaway walking away and says, you know, see you tomorrow, Mickey. And Mickey freaks out and gets all pissed off. Right. That the guy's being a wise guy. And yep. then that, that one pitcher, what's his name? Uh, the starting pitcher, that left-hander. Uh, I forget it. Vargas. Vargas threatens to beat the crap out of the reporter. And this is just the tire fire that the the New York Mets are. This is such a disaster. It it is a disaster. I would anticipate that Callaway will be fired shortly. I believe the GM, who we'll talk about in a minute, will also be fired shortly. Should be. The the Mets are in chaos. They are. And really, what happens when, when... you start to, to, to underperform and everyone starts pointing the fingers. Everyone's playing on edge. It's, yeah. never, it's never a good thing to be under that kind of pressure when, you're, when you absolutely have to excel. And they, 
they're not doing that right now. The Mets are in disarray, and, and it's, it's it, to me, what I don't understand is in 2015, this was a team that had three of the best frontline starters in baseball, made it to the World Series, crushed the Cubs, yeah. and, you, and you would think they would have built upon that because if you index them against the Cubs from 2015 to this point, the Cubs have been competitive every year, including winning the World Series. And so, you know, if I owned the Mets, I would be like, what the hell is going on here? You guys are in a metropolitan area with a huge fan base. We're giving you basically a blank check. Yeah. Where, where's our return on our investment? Where's the production? Where, right. you know, and the, and the thing is, is just everybody is blaming everybody else. And this is why when you look at the Cubs, with the way that Madden handles post-game press conferences, the way he handles it when reporters ask him about his decisions, yep. he's very matter-of-fact. He's not defensive. He's not angry. He's not hostile. He is as cool as a mountain lake. He explains the logic behind his decision, and that's it. You know what I mean? And, and, and uh, you know, every team is going to experience really tough losses. How you react and how you behave during those tough losses, defines your character. I think the Cubs are in much stronger footing. And, and by the way, Madden does this as well as anybody in the in the any manager in baseball. He's I've I've said this about this guy going back to to when he was the Tampa Bay manager. He reminds me a lot of Spencer Tracy yeah. and the fact that he's <laughs> yeah. he's cool as a cucumber. It, it, you know, he doesn't bump into the furniture. He remembers his lines yeah. and he delivers them. And yeah. I think. You know, the fact that, uh, as Epstein talks about, you know, Joe's got to go in front of the reporters twice a day. It's not an easy job. It's not an easy job to sit there and schmooze and put a positive spin sometimes on crappy situations. But the one thing about him is he's such a veteran of the game that he he's nonplussed. Yeah, nothing, nothing bothers him. Nothing threatens him. Nothing bothers him. He's just, you know, hey, he's seen it all. He also knows that these are men and women who are doing their job and that they're people, they're human beings. He tries to establish relationships with them. Yeah. You're talking about the press. I'm talking about the press, reporters and and just the media in general. I remember one time, you know, when they they had the in-game interview during the ESPN broadcast, he was a little short with uh, Alex Rodriguez and the other people in the booth. But that went back to some of the things that Rodriguez had said about the Cubs, you know what I mean? During so so, I don't even a, acknowledge. I don't even acknowledge them as announcers. So I, that, <laughs> I, that that would be the equivalent of you in class going. You know, we're gonna we're gonna throw out that test. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's the only time I've ever seen him a little short. Right, you know right. I mean? Well, and, no, in St. Louis a couple of years ago, he went off. Well, he went off, but but that was because of something that had happened in the game. Right, you know, Player, the players were getting hit. Right. Yeah, yeah. So he was, but uh, so he was expressing anger about uh, Mike Matheny and the way that he was going about his business. But uh, but you know, it, it's just it's more. It's another reason why Madden should be brought back for at least another two years. There's so, so, I've been saying it all along. I criticize him mightily about he, how he handles pitching staffs. I like everything else about him. Yeah, I, I like I like the way he handles the modern players. I like him dressing up goofy on the road. I like I like how he handles the press. All these things that we've talked about. He is a really really good uh, skipper of a baseball team. He just does not handle pitching staffs to my liking because again, I grew up at the knee of Sparky Anderson, and Sparky handled pitching staffs perfectly, perfectly. Per-
perfectly is 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 that you know I wouldn't say that, but he did. Uh, he worked he had, with what he had, he had, had perfectly, runs. dude. Yeah. If you couldn't throw strikes, you were out of the game every time. It wasn't like Madden, like, hey, let's have a hug and I'll let you pitch again. You know, it, it, that's not how it works. But anyways, I digress. I'm a big fan of Joe Madden, and if the Cubs let him go, they they're, would be they're, insane. They're insane. Who, who is the other Cub in the? I would say to Epstein, just name me the other Cub manager in the hundred years before him that won a World Series. Exactly. Oh, you can't. You can't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, but but then now this also, you know, the thing with the Mets goes even deeper. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. Uh, because the the week before. The Mets were in San Diego. Jason DeGrom, Jacob DeGrom was pitching. Yep. It was the seventh inning. And Mickey Calloway got a phone. I don't know if he got a phone call or somebody else got a phone call. And yeah, relayed, somebody, else, somebody else did, and word was was uh, Was passed, yeah, yeah. To, to Calloway to take DeGrom out of the game. He was ordered by, uh, what's the name of this, uh, this, what's his name, Brody Van Wegenen. Yeah, yeah, Brody Van Wegenen, correct. He's the 32-year-old 30, GM rookie GM from uh, for the Mets, and he called you know from his home in New York City and demanded that Callaway take Degrom out of the game. They yeah. go on and lose the game. Degrom was furious that he had been taken out. Right. And, I mean, and and then uh, what's his name? Callaway goes in front of the reporters and takes responsibility for taking him out. And so I think that this is just awful. Have you ever heard of this happening? A GM? Actually, actually, going way back to the old days of baseball, this kind of happened frequently, it's my understanding. But that was because the owners would be at the games and, yeah. they, and, and, and they, would, they would voice their displeasure about certain things. Um, this is beyond the pale. This is your classic lose, lose, lose situation. Yeah. And, and I, I feel bad for the Mets, Mets fans out there. But when you said Brody Van uh, Wagenen, I almost wanted to say, don't. Don't don't remember it because he's not going to be around long enough for you to ever remember his name because I think he's going to get fired and I think he's going to get fired soon. I know for a fact that Callaway is going to get fired based on everything I've read. If you go, uh, if you re- you know, we send these links back and forth on the on the New York Post. Oh my God, they eviscerate that guy. Yeah, they do. They really do. It's a New t- York. Reporter. I mean, it's a hard place to manage, and it's full of guys who are just ready to beat the crap out of you in the press, on social yep. media, etc. But, you know, you, you got to isolate yourself from that stuff if you can. I don't well, know. You I, know, what, one last thing. The contrast between Madden and, and Callaway is, is, is striking. You know, yeah, it, yeah, it it's is. kind of the yin-yang you got going on there for management styles. All right, so let's move on. The uh, Red Sox and the Yankees are in London for a two-game series, and this is uh, part of MLB's effort to grow the sport internationally following the footsteps of the NFL and the NBA, who have much more of an international footprint. Uh, do you think this is good? You know, I've already said publicly that I don't like the idea of this, but when I read the article of what baseball is trying to do, it kind of changed my mind on the subject, and the reason is nothing to do with, with baseball ever being in, in England, but it's more about are there players out there that could come and play in the major leagues that need to be exposed to things like this, in in from an international standpoint and Absolutely. i guess I, I guess i support that wholeheartedly and then also with the way that they're using biometrics and analytics to sort of develop players now i mean maybe they can find the cricket player or maybe they can find somebody who can have maybe one elite tool 
and they can right. maybe take that guy and turn him into something productive at the major league level. I think it's exciting. And uh, I, I love it. And, and you know, the, the, the British aren't entirely unfamiliar with baseball. Not exactly. They, they play a game called rounders, you know, which right. is similar in concept to baseball. Cricket has some similarities as well. You know, and what I also like is uh, they're bringing in many of the fun things that we associate with some of the games. You know, they're bringing that guy, the skiz, who's going to yeah. <laughs> run a race, you know, who's yep. going to run down somebody, a fan, some unlucky fan. They're going right. to have the, the they're going to take uh, historical figures from uh, British history, uh, Henry VIII, yeah. uh, William Shakespeare, so on and so forth. And they're going to run kind of in the same way that the sausage race happens in Milwaukee <laughs> or the president. So, so these are good things. Yeah, I, mean? I, I suppose. So I, suppose. I, I don't, I don't ever think there'll be a major league baseball league in, in Great Britain, no, but no, but you know, if it, if it leads to more, you know, better players playing in the major leagues because of their exposures to things like this, then it's a necessary evil. But theoretically, I'm not crazy about having my team fly all the way over there, have to play. It, it just, it just seems to be a disruption. Um, I, it's not so bad for East coast teams because the flight to, to London is similar to the flight to Seattle. You know what I mean? But, uh, it's but still, but, I just don't yeah. like it. The yeah. food's bad. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a bit of a cliche. The food is a lot better. But no, uh, I, have, I have a friend on Facebook who's a cameraman for the Red Sox, and he always posts a lot of stuff. And he's been over there in England, you know, showing pictures of places he's going and getting things set up at uh, the West Ham United football stadium where they're going to play the game. So it's, it's, it, I'm keeping up with it, and I'll be excited to see what happens and how it's received. You know, I'm sure he's ordered himself a couple Royale with cheeses. Yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> All right, so uh, also in the news, Cardinals closer Jordan Hicks right. will undergo Tommy John surgery. This ends his season. It is a huge blow to the Cardinals. Yep. This is a kid who could throw 100 miles an hour. Um, you know, it, I, I, I don't know what the Cardinals are going to do going forward. They didn't have a single all-star. They're right around 500. They can't seem to get going. Every you team know? in the central is right around 500 though. Yeah, I, that's I, true. I, I don't, the, the Hicks is a tremendous hit. You cannot take a hit like that. Yeah. And until, you know, uh, a couple nights ago with Cole Hamels going down, um, you know, that those could be seizing changing events for teams. And so, you know, if, if, if they can't replace at least 80% of what Hicks does, there's no way that I think they'll even make the playoffs. No, you're right. You're right. And they may, they may start thinking about being sellers in, instead of buyers at this point. You know, now that you say this, it makes me think that had we not signed Kimbrell and he didn't sign, the Cardinals would have been all over that. They would have been all over him. Yeah, yeah. They need him more than anybody. Right. And well, they need them now. That's for sure. There's no question. But but I mean, the Cardinals are stuck in that they have a mediocre team and they don't have a lot of prospects as far as getting better. And they can't seem to get worse in order to get better. So, it's, I, it's you know, I don't know up. that I, I don't know that I completely agree, agree that you, that it's not that great of a team, because I think they're very gifted offensively. They just have underperformed. They have underperformed. And, you know, but going back to Hicks, um, you know, I'm, I'm reading this book, The MVP Machine, and they're talking about how, you know, how they talked about for years how pitchers throwing curveballs was damaging to their arms. But, yep. the, but the research proves that it's actually fastballs. Throwing fastballs is what damages the arms. And Hicks, with his 100-mile-an-hour fastball, damaged his arm. 
You know, um, I'm sorry, but this is uh, what we're looking at. You're seeing more and more guys go to breaking stuff uh, more and more in their arsenal. So, Well, that's why, to me, Hendricks is the prototypical pitcher because he doesn't really – he doesn't rely on that, that kind of a, a style, which – there very few pitchers have been able to pull it off for longevity. Some can right. do it for short periods of time. Um, well, Maddox Van- is one. He's Maddox rare. is one, but but yeah. um, uh, there was a pitcher that pitched for California and later for Detroit in the seventies called Frank Tanana. I know Frank, Frank Tanana. When Frank Tanana first started, he had amazing heat. Yeah. But within about four or five years, that velocity was gone, and then he became a Maddox-like pitcher, and that's when he. You know, he had a resurgence in his career, but very few pitchers are able to pull that off. Usually what happens is you're a power pitcher um, and, and then you're not. Then you're not in the major leagues anymore. Yeah, and, uh, unless you're Nolan Ryan, who was a power pitcher his whole life. But again, life. He, he's yeah. one of those aber- – to me, he would be on the, the aberration side because, it, it, first of all, looking at his body type, he's not, he, didn't, he wasn't built like Tom Seaver. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Ryan to me looked like a. If you saw him, you'd be like, "Who's this little guy?" But but he had, it, that was just, you know, <laughs> that's why he he's got the most strikeouts of all time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, so uh, there was an article in the Athletic uh, that talked about uh, the real problem or the real reason we're seeing such a surge in home runs is the baseball is different. It is physically smaller more tightly wound, the seams are lower, and it is contributing to all these uh, to home runs. They had an astrophysicist basically break down yeah. uh, what the differences in the balls that are being produced today versus the balls even four or five years ago. And, it, and, and the, the information, the results, were really nothing short of astonishing. You know? No doubt. Fascinating article. Dr. Meredith Wills. Uh, was the uh, person that that wrote the article, and it, it just there's so much stuff information in here for baseball geeks like me. I was like, oh my god, this is incredible! But it supports uh, it, it, it. It doesn't support. It actually contradicts what what I was told a couple weeks ago that materially the baseball hasn't changed since 2011. We know now that is definitely not true. Yeah, that is definitely not true. There, and- the balls th- this year. Are basically the leather is smoother, the balls are rounder, the the stitching is lower, yeah, and it's more inset with the leather itself. To me, that was a huge. That's a huge difference. And they start talking about drag and other things that we're not going to bore our listeners with. But the reality is, is the baseball is different. And the only and, thing, the only thing that isn't different is the core, which they said manufacturally they can't change the core. The core, if you read the whole thing, it, they, right, they talk they, about. It. That, that, that core, um, if it was not put in properly, the machines would be damaged, and that's not happening. That produced them, the manufacturing machines. But, if you, but you can even, I mean, you look at these balls, they're obviously, it, 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 you can just tell by looking at them, the balls today are smaller, and uh, that means more of the bat can cover more of the ball, and when contact is made, you know, the ball really rockets out of there. Well, yeah. that's why they, they, they kind of measure it in drag. And by the way, drag is something that is, that is used in racing, too. Um, uh, it, so it, it's, it, was, it was a great article. The Athletic yeah. is a fantastic publication and, uh, I, you know, eye-opener about, about baseballs. Pitchers apparently, like even John Lester, I think they even quote him. Yeah, they did. He, he, 
you know, the ball doesn't feel right in your hand. Um, they they you, say that it feels like an ice cube, that it's too smooth. Yeah, yeah. That they because before every game they rub all they the balls mud, up they with mud, the with mud from you know I don't know. Uh, they call it umpires mud. <laughs> yeah, but it comes from like Alabama or something. Right, it's very right, special. right, right, right. And uh, but 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 it's not rubbing up the way it used to. Correct. And uh, Correct. It's, it's and the balls are flying out. There could be how, how many more home runs this year? A thousand more home runs yeah, than ever crazy. before in a season. I mean, the Cubs are on pace to have like five or six guys hit thirty home runs. I mean, is that bananas? You know it's, that it, you know. I, I don't know. I, I I don't. It's what the fans want. But I have a hard t- the the world that we live in and that true outcome with everything is a home run. It's 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 maddening to me. It really is. All right, so Adam Eaton put himself yep. out on the front lines of an important issue for minor league baseball players. He said that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he was asked about whether or not uh, minor league players should see a raise to have conditions improved. And he said, well, he didn't think so. He thought that it was exactly the bad conditions and the low pay that was the motivating factor to get players like him out of the minors and into the majors. And uh, I, I, I just, don't think I, I don't think he's completely wrong. <laughs> but, but but that doesn't mean you should say it out loud. Um, but but I and the reason why I say that is because this the minor league system is is based on economics. If, if they believe me, if they were getting 30,000 fans every night, they'd have a totally different, you know, pay scale. I, I, I don't think he's completely wrong about this. And I thought that that uh, that author really um, bear, I think is his name, um, kind of took him to task. And I. I don't know. I, well, Adam, I mean, Adam Eaton is a jerk. There's no doubt about it. But I'm not. I don't know that I agree with Bill Bear's assertion completely. I, I, I think I agree with you that Adam Eaton is a jerk. But I also agree that. Well, I, I also feel that like when 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 a player makes a statement like this, that's obviously I think a little short sighted. Um, you know, everybody beats him up, wants to take him to task. This guy's an idiot. Who does he think he is? And blah blah blah. And everybody right. just dumps and pile dumps on him and piles on him. And yeah. it's just, I mean, he's just, Eaton's just not a smart, thoughtful individual. No. You know what no, I mean? No. And I, who cares what Adam Eaton says? Right. You know what I mean? It's not like uh, minor league baseball owners are saying, well, you know, Adam Eaton is the one who really is making our case that we need to keep salaries low. No, yeah. that's not it at all. They right. need to, they need to create a better situation for these players to get them more money so they can support their families, so they, so they can work harder on getting better, so they don't have to work a side job in a grocery store or something like that. Yeah. You know? so, which, I, I, which, in theory, I completely agree with that premise. I just don't think the economics will ever make that happen. That's, it's, it's, it's wishful thinking from my perspective. Well, but you're talking about organizations that are worth a billion dollars. You know, they can... Yeah, but no, actually, we're not. We're actually judging the minor league value, not the major league value, not the major league attachment. Right, the, but, but wouldn't you think that an organization that's generating so much revenue might be able to put a little more money in these players' pockets to, um, sure. to, 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 to help their development? Sure, but I still think the fundamental issue is the fact that there's not enough butts in the seats, even in certain major league parks, let alone minor league parks. And that's what drives a lot of this is the economics of it. So, I, I, yeah, it would be great if we could make them all, you know, give them all gold toilets. But, but I, I think the reality is, is they have to work with the money that, that works within those organizations and not the major league level. I'm talking about the minor league level. So we can well, agree to disagree on, that, on this subject. 
All right. All right. So let's move on to the Chicago Cubs. No, okay. Uh, okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We've oh. got, uh, we've got a, uh, a breaking news story just Uh-oh. comes into the, uh, to the office here. Uh, this is from the onion. Norfolk's tied third baseman sent down to the Baltimore Orioles. And, <laughs> and the, the manager is quoted third baseman. Anderson Feliz has been dealing with a couple of injuries. He's had a little bit of a slump. So we think this will be a good way to build up his confidence. <laughs> <laughs> to send him up to the Orioles. That is funny. No, that send him funny. down to the Orioles. Send him down to the Orioles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Orioles are going to lose. They're going to be like the, the 1961 Mets. They're going to be they're They might lose 120 games. That's... Yeah, they said that last year. I, I doubt it. I, 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 they're, they're they got two people going to the All Star game. <laughs> well, somebody's <laughs> got to go to the All Star game. But uh, all right, but, tell uh, that to St. Louis. Yeah, right. So uh, Doug Glanville, I wanted to say, uh, he's a very, very nice addition to the Cubs broadcast because yeah. he appears on uh, when the broadcasts are on Comcast Sportsnet's Comcast Sportsnet, and they sort of turn him loose in the ballpark and he finds a little spot to watch the game. And then he makes his comments. I think he's really, really smart. I love what he has to say. I love what he adds. I I do too, but I got a bone to pick with the technical crew. They need to raise his voice at the volume so you can hear him a little bit better because Mm. sometimes um, at least on my television, you hear the main broadcaster and his voice almost sounds like Like twice as loud, not twice as loud, but, but, I just think I agree with you. He's he's a really smart guy, and he does a really good job. Um, and, and, and you know, the Cubs are lucky to have him, really. They really are. And, and it, it's something, you know, here you have a former player, a former Cub. You know, this is a guy who is extremely smart. I think he yeah. went – did he go to an Ivy League school? I don't know if he did. I'm or, not sure. I'm but not he, sure. He, he did, you know, play college ball. He's very intelligent. And I just like what he has to, to, to offer. You know, it's just some really good insights – on what the players are thinking and feeling. And, uh, you know, it's, he's noticing things that other people don't. You know? Right, correct, correct. All right, so uh, let's talk about some of the series that have been played this week. It's been a, sort of a, a really inconsistent, mediocre week for the Cubs. But this is just sort of what we've become used to these last it, few weeks. It's been going on for five weeks now. Well, they, they split a series with the Mets that they should have won easily. You know, it was a four-game series. They, they, they finished 2-2. Two and two. It, 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 I, I was very, very upset about this. You know? Well, you have to go back to last Saturday's game because actually the, the Sunday game was a, a triumphant save. Right. Uh, the split saving win by Baez. But yeah. you're right. I, I thought leading up to this series that the Cubs would have their way with the Mets and maybe win all of the games. That right. didn't happen. It did not happen. And the Mets got some good pitching. You know, the Cubs again – you know, just looking terrible with runners in scoring position. Hopefully that's starting to change, starting to turn around. But, uh, but they, have to, they have to really take control of these series if they're going to win this division. You know, they, they yeah. have all the talent. They have everything they need. They just have to go out and do it. The one thing I also wanted to mention is how about Phil Regan? Yeah. That's pitching coach. Right. 80, what is he, 81 years old? 81 years old. I mean, oh. he, looks, he looks every bit of it. You could tell he spent a greater part of his life in the sun. But I, I, kinda, <laughs> I, have a pet, I have a pet peeve about this whole thing with this Regan character. The fact is he's now drawing a salary. Yeah. I'm pretty sure because of his AARP membership that he's getting half off on everything in the stadium. That's right. That's he right. should have to pay full boat since he's a full-time employee now. That's right. That's <laughs> right. He should have to pay exactly, just like everybody else. But, I mean, you're looking at a guy who's as old as my father, who's yeah, as old correct. as my father-in-law. I mean, right. it's tremendous. 
he actually jogged off the mound, you know, back into the dugout when he'd come out for a mound visit. So yes. I'm just really impressed, you know. With uh... I, you know, I am too. I, I we know this is a bridge hire. There's going to be a, a pitching coach that's, and he's basically just, um, you know, guarding the fran the, the pitchers because he. He was available. I don't. I don't understand why you would hire an eighty-one-year-old guy. But I. I'm trying to rationalize it, but I'm struggling. You. You. You hire an eighty-one-year-old guy because you don't. It's not a problem when you fire it. You know what I mean? That's. But the, or, that's or or this could be one of those bang the drum slowly things. We don't know. Maybe, we don't know. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, I hope he goes for as long as he can. I really yeah, me do. too. I wish him the but, best. But uh, then also, so let's move on to the uh, Atlanta Braves series. And again, another four-game series at Wrigley Well, but Field. Hey, before we do, I, oh. I think we, we should talk about that dust-up between Wilson Contreras and Tyler Flowers. Oh, right. That's right. Thank you for reminding me. That's yeah. right. There was a bit of a drama. Oh, but that was, that was in Atlanta, though, right? That, that's no, Atlanta. no, that was, that was... I think that's Atlanta. Yeah, I think that is actually Atlanta Go ahead. Series. Go ahead. I didn't mean no, to interrupt you. No, no, no. Sorry. That was the Atlanta series. Uh, I think I misplaced it in the rundown. Sorry yeah. about that. No worries. We'll fire. We'll fire. We have to fire another intern. That's just uh, the way it goes. Yeah. But uh, but the Braves played a four game series at uh, Wrigley, and it began with a great starting pitching performance by John Lester. Who, man, I mean, under pressure, that guy is solid. You he know? really is. He's 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 just. I just can't imagine where we would be if we never had John Lester on our team. I mean, I I just think he's so good. Is he the best free agent signing, athlete free agent signing in Chicago sports history? Well, it could that or Hayward. Well, oh, just Hayward, kidding. I yeah. kid. I kid. I kid. <laughs> but uh, but we are really lucky to have him, and uh, we we're going to need him now more than ever. Correct. But correct. Uh, I also noticed it, it, guys are starting to heat up on offense a little bit, especially Hayward, Contreras, and then Bias, who've been slumping for a long time. You know, has is beginning to assert himself again. That's that's a positive, but it's not really translating into wins. But you know, for for different reasons. But you know, you have to understand that Montgomery kind of killed us all week long. Every time yeah, he was he in did. there, he like I I don't know if he needs to be um, rested or examined or sent down, but I don't know that he can continue to come out of the bullpen and be given up two to four to five runs in each time that he pitches. Yeah. I don't so, know. It, it, um, it's tough. He, he, he pitched great. The first time, the first time, the first game he pitched coming back from the injury, he pitched great in relief. And then he hasn't been good ever since. So. You know, well, I and, and I, I, Baez is always going to, uh, uh, be one of these types of hitters that, uh, is going to because of how free swinging he is, uh, you know, you're, you're going to get, you're going to get ups and downs with a hitter like that until he learns to, you know, to, to cut down on his strikeouts. No, that's true. So um, we also saw in the Atlanta series uh, start by a young pitcher from the Chicago Cubs organization, guy who just got called up, Adbert Al Solai. Al Solai. Right. And yeah. he has a kind of. Al Solai. He kind of has an interesting habit. That uh, yeah. when he's off the mound in between innings, you know, he sits there and he takes notes feverishly. He's writing notes in some sort of notebook about the last inning and what happened and what he's going to throw. Yeah. I mean, what is he writing down over there? It looks well, pretty, you, you, pretty strange. You, you think he's writing some, something down, but he's actually playing Sudoku. <laughs> That's right, man. He's really good at Sudoku. You know, Sudoku, I mean, 
No, but but seriously, have you ever seen anything like this? I mean, he's charting pitches. He's doing something. You know. Yeah, he's he's still you know he's a young pitcher and he's got tremendous um, stuff, um, but he's basically a four or five inning pitcher. I don't right you know, now. I think is, yeah. We're we're, yeah. we're going to be talking about the injury, the major injury to Cole Hamels here in a minute, but. Alzale is going to be called into, into duty, and I'm thinking he's going to become a regular part of the rotation, which means that by the fourth or fifth inning, you better start getting those relievers warmed up yeah. because he just doesn't have the strength, I don't know what you want to call it, to go, to go any further than that. And then, uh, what was it, uh, Wednesday's game, uh, Darvish pitched. Boy, yeah. they, they still cannot rely on him. He's having a hard time getting anything done at Wrigley Field, you know? Well, in his defense, again, we, I'll keep saying this, that, that he's really coming back from a, a big injury, and uh, um, you're going to have ups and downs with him. Yeah. I thought the story of the game was that this was Dallas Keuchel's first win, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. at, at, it, since his long layoff, and uh, he pitched pretty well. He had the Cubs at bay, and it's just like we talked about. That's what you're going to get with the Dallas Keuchel. They jumped all over our starter because if Lester was pitching, you know, we might have won that game, yeah. you know. so. All right, so uh, did you see Cookie Monster sing the seventh-inning stretch? What was I it? saw a photo of it online. I didn't see him I, I, see I the, actually the great Cookie Monster, actually... who we're seeing in concert later this week. <laughs> I actually saw the game, and i got to yeah. say it was one of the better seventh-inning stretches we had in a while. You know how he goes, uh, I, you know, me no care if me never. You know, he, he, yeah, he sort of incorporated yeah. some Cookie Monster stuff. He said, nice. C is for cubbies. You know, it was, it was really <laughs> cute. And uh, well, everybody, I think, had a really good time. You know? Yeah. The other so, – oh, go, uh, yeah, go ahead. So the last game against the Braves, our prized reliever entered the game in the, in the ninth inning. Uh, to obviously to much uh, uh, applause and kind of had kind of a Kimbrell like inning in yeah. the sense that he retired the first two hitters. And next thing you know, there's two men on base yeah. Yeah. And, and and that arm is hanging there, just dangling up and down. Uh, it looks like a, a toll booth flag. He's got great stuff. There's no question. And, and, you know, what was interesting is I was listening to that at that point in the game, I was in the car running an errand and I listened to it on the radio and the Cubs broadcast, they, they, they said, we're going to, instead of going straight to commercial, they held and said, we're going to wait until Kimbrell emerges from the bullpen to get the crowd reaction. And uh, the door opened and a uh, huge noise went up from the fans. It was really cool. So it was just exciting. And he looked very good until he looked like he was, he looked like he'd never done it before, you know. So why don't you describe the, the last ground ball to Mr. Rizzo well, to end that game? There's two runners on, and Rizzo's playing deep on the line to kind of protect against a double. And uh, Freddie Freeman crushes a hard ground ball, skips, I think, once or twice. Rizzo fields it cleanly, but then he looks and realizes that Kimbrell is not running over to cover the bag. So right. Rizzo starts to – he just takes off. Not in his, not in his contract. <laughs> So he just basically Rizzo takes off like a tight end going for the yeah. end zone and he does exactly. a full dive. He goes flat out and tags, you know, he's right. He's left-handed. So the gloves on his right hand and he right. basically slides tags the glove, the bag with his, his glove just ahead of Freeman hitting the bag with his foot. And he managed to avoid Freeman basically running on him 
which was crazy. That, that was a Keith Hernandez like play that Rizzo made. It was a tremendous, and it play. just showed you how how uh, athletic that Rizzo is because that was the thing of beauty. It really was from start to end. I don't know too many first basemen who can make that play. Bill Buckner doesn't make that play. You know what I mean? It's just, just right. I mean, right. Uh, but you know the thing is, like Freeman might could because he's tall like that. But but you're right. Uh, you know the the reality is is that Rizzo's such an important uh, cog in the, in the Cubs machine, and he shows it constantly. Yeah, he's a great infielder at first base, is what he is defensively. He's tremendous. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great to watch him. I I really uh, enjoy it. So, all right, moving on to the Red Series uh, that began last night, the Great American Ballpark. Yeah. I was really excited for this. You know, did you notice that there was a good crowd? They had a crowd of like uh, they, like 36,000. 36,000. 36,000, yeah. And most of them were Reds fans. Kudos to, to the Reds. But like I've been saying, you know, the Reds are uh, they're 37 and 42 right now, uh, five and a half games out. Uh, so they've slipped a little bit since last week. But I still – I think their prospects are good and they need to – they need they need to go out and get some players at the halfway point. I really well, you know, that. they're going to get Alex Wood back. Uh, they 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 just got Scooter Jeanette back, who was one for five, I think, last night. You know, uh, they're an interesting team. I think they're erratic. They're kind of all over the place. You just never know what you're going to get from players like Puig or Senzel. So it's 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 difficult to sort of jo- Joey Votto was four for four last. He night. was he was four for four. He's uh, you know you got to. Got to admire that. I mean, they're they're gonna be a dangerous team that can beat anybody at any time. So that's I think the main problem with the NL Central is there's just not a team that you can really beat up on like you could in the past. You know, right. so <laughs> ah, the good old days. the good old days when the Pirates and the Reds were awful and you could Correct. count on beating them twelve the or Brewers, thirteen. The times. Brewers were inconsistent too. Oh yeah, and that's really the one thing that's keeping the Cubs in this race. Is that uh, you know the Cubs? What is it? Uh, they were, they had a one-game lead going into last night's game. They lost. The Brewers lost, and the Cardinals lost. Right. So correct. they're still one game in front. You know, after one after last night's devastating loss, and that I think points to the fact that the Cubs are probably in the best position to win the division, but they just haven't been able to do it. You know, the Pirates have won. The Pirates have won three in a row, and they're four games back. They're two games under five hundred. So I, I just like the whole division. All the teams are good, um, but it's going to put a lot of wear and tear on the Cubs this year. It really is. It really is. And and, and Mon- Montgomery got uh, you know obviously the big story is Cole Hamels left in the first inning with a left uh, strained left oblique. He he did his right oblique in tw- I think twenty seventeen or twenty sixteen. And was out for two months. So anticipate Hamill to be gone probably till September. Um, really, that it, long? When, yeah, oh, it's, it's a, that's a major, major hit to the Cubs. Major. Hit. It was so he pitched one inning. Got you know, pitched had a little trouble, but allowed a single run, but got out of it. And then while he was warming up to start the second, he just walked off the mound. It's uh, it, that, and Madden said uh, he said I saw him walking towards me and I knew it was not good. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then Montgomery was a poor substitute. He just got lit up. But even then, the Cubs came back, had a chance. You know, Hayward hit a Correct. three-run home run. They had a situation where the tying run was at the plate, but uh, you know, it, it, it's just it just didn't happen. So I don't know. I, it, they're going to have to really rely on some of this depth that they had spoken of. You know, yeah, Chatwood, exactly. Montgomery, Alzali, all these guys are going to be pitching in the starting. Uh, in, well, you know. I, th- I think they're going to recall Barnett would be my guess. 
when they put Hamels on the IL. Yeah, perhaps, um, perhaps. So, so yeah, you're right. A lot of the young arms in the um, Cubs organization are going to get tested in the next couple months. I'm just fearful that if the Cubs don't keep pace, meaning if the if the Lester's of the world, Quintana and and Darvish, you guys got to step up your game because you know Hamill. Hamill was a significant part of the why we're in first place right now. Yeah, it really is. So. All right. All right. Well, that wraps up our baseball discussion. It's now time to go to our movie category. And this category this week is best science fiction movie produced after 2000. And I'm going right. to let you go ahead and get started. Well, you know, there, the, there's been cla- classic um, sci-fi pre-2000. Yeah. But I thought post-2000, there hasn't been a, a the stuff that you kind of saw the classics at least in the 20th century but uh uh since i picked my movie first last week you're actually going to talk about your film first but but just for so our audience understands we um we pick a category it's this week is sci-fi since 2000 and then we have to come back with our favorite film of that genre based on that criteria exactly up mr fontana what which sci-fi movie did it for you and, and it's a modern sci-fi film. Well, I'll tell you, you, you just hit the nail on the head talking about how there were a lot of great sci-fi movies made before 2000, but after 2000, it, 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 the pickings were pretty bare. In fact, I started going through lists and lists and lists for science fiction movies that were produced every single year since 2000, and I couldn't find a single one that spoke to me in terms of being something that I enjoyed or really thought was a good movie. So the, what I picked was, um, I'm going a little off, off the reservation here. I'm yeah. going with a series called Black Mirror that you see on Netflix. Because each episode is like a short film. They're all science fiction oriented. They deal with technology and how it's going to change the way we live. And there are episodes, you know, it's, it's, it's horror slash science fiction. And there were episodes that just scared the living shit out of me. Seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, so I'm just going to interrupt you right there and just say, uh, moving forward, you need to pick a film. So that's not a film. It's, but we're going to give you a pass in our week two of our discussion. But that does, this does not qualify. No, it doesn't. It doesn't qualify. No. I freely admit that. But the yeah. problem is, is that I couldn't find a single movie. You know what the best movie was, I thought, was The yeah. Martian. Okay? With, with yeah. Matt Damon. That was the best no. science fiction movie. No. You know, no. so no, there's there's actually two really good films. All right, well, I'll be century. interested to hear what you have to say yeah. because I was stuck. You know, yeah. Go no, you go ahead, you go ahead. I wanna... So so I I felt that there was that there's uh, the there's two films really. the The second film was a movie called Inception, which was made about um, five or six years ago, and um, it, it 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 really was good, but the, the the film that I picked, which I think is a classic and a near masterpiece, is Minority Report, which is a Steven Spielberg film from two thousand and two, which yeah. is based on the Philip K. Dick uh, story of the same name from uh, the late I think the late fifties. Um, but and and also it was a sequel to to Total Recall, which is a film I didn't like at all. Right, um, right. I, I hate films like that. But I thought Minority Report it was a one of the best acting performances by Tom Cruise, who I'm not a fan of at all. Um, and Scorsese, w- along with his cinematographer, just made a luscious looking film 
but still kind of some people think it's a, ne a neo-noir type of a movie. I think it's, it's kind of a dystopian film kind of cut out of the Brave New World uh, cloth uh, that was, uh, you know, the, the Huxley book from the 20th right. century. But it's just it's to me, it's just a, a four star movie um, that uh, just there's there's been a lot of crappy science fiction things done and, and extensions of things like the Star Trek and Star Wars. Right. All things. these but franchises. There, it's been, it's, it's just... been hit. There's been hit or misses. But I think if you just look at Minority Report at on its own as its own entity, it's a fantastic film. I think that uh, it was a good movie, but it doesn't stand out for me. The big problem I have with Minority Report is so much of it is, is computer generated, the imaging. And, and I can't take these. I can't I don't consider these actually movies to be actually good. that's where that's where you're wrong. The fact is there was there's a little bit of CGI in the film, but time and time again, if you read the backstory on the making of the movie, there were situations where they were like, we could do CG CGI or we could take the time and film this right. And Ebert said at that time that that was, remember, this is coming off the heels of, of movies like Superman 2, where it was basically a cartoon. You couldn't tell what was real and what wasn't real from a CGI standpoint. It was god awful. This is actually as sedated at that time as, as, as this could be. It's kind of like how 3D kind of matured in the last 10 years that you actually see it being used properly uh, in certain films. The same thing with CGI. There is some in this film, but it's very subdued. I'm telling well, you. Well, I mean, you all those to... sweeping shots of the expressways and all that. I, I, uh, what, I you know what? That, well, after the movie was filmed, Spielberg says, I want you to take that film and dirty it up. And so what, that's why it has kind of that silver effect that uh, Janus, the cinematographer, actually used a, 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 a technique to get that look, that it's kind of a noir kind of silver look throughout the film, kind of like how Kubrick used to use the color red. Um, uh, Spielberg, um, who was very much influenced by Kubrick, by the way. Yes. Um, it, it really, uh, he's just, a, he, he's a, what he does a great job as, forget about the CGI, is the story, the characters. That's why Spielberg, that's why Saving Private Ryan, while flawed in the reality that basically all World War II veterans would tell you that nobody walked around anywhere in the open battlefield. And right. You see a lot of it in Saving Private Ryan. But, but, but it's about the characters of that film. And, that's, and same thing with Jaws. You see it time and time again with Spielberg. He puts a premium on the characters, which... Um, and the other thing that I thought Spielberg did a <laughs> tremendous job with is that he actually went um, to like uh, a college in Northern California and had a bunch of futurists there to say, what was the world going to look like in 2054? And it, apparently he spent like a couple of days with these guys, eight hours a day, getting their ideas. And he kind of incorporated that into his vision of what. Uh, hmm. The world would look like at 2054. I think you got to give it another look. I'll it's give it. A, I'll, I'll it, tell you it, what. It's I'll... a tremendous, tremendous film. Um, it's not my favorite film of of the a century, but it's 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 in it's in the top. But 20, in this category, films. in this category, I mean, in right. this category, it's number one for sure. All right, all right. Well, we've come to the end of another show, and as always, it is a tremendous pleasure and a privilege to discuss baseball and other topics with you every week i hope you enjoy your vacation how long are you gonna be up there uh for for like a week okay all right all right we'll keep in touch send me a postcard you know uh, i will 
and uh you know uh and are you bringing the dude you're bringing all the animals oh yeah um, oh yeah the dude the dude is definitely going he's not he doesn't like the ride up there but once he's there he's in heaven all right but uh, uh, all right well you have a good week uh and uh, we'll talk to you soon all right see you bye over now